Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. We are continuing our series called Practicing the Way of Jesus as we look at the core practices of Jesus and begin to adopt them as our own. This week, we are looking at the lost practice of fasting. Even though this one might seem unusual to us, it was actually a regular practice throughout the early church and was only lost in recent years. Follow along as we look at what it is, what it's not, and why would we do it. We hope you enjoy this message. Guys, over the past few weeks, we have been in a series called Practicing the Way of Jesus, where we are looking at the lifestyle of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, and trying to kind of extract how did this man live? Like, what were his core things in life? What were his practices that enabled Jesus, we believe, to live the best life possible? Like, how did God design, design humans to live? We think Jesus exemplified that and fulfilled that and modeled to us the abundant life. And so we're trying to extract some of those practices and adopt them as our own. And uh, it's been a pretty cool series, and we're going to continue that very uh, series tonight. We're going to look at a different practice tonight as we study the ways of our master, Jesus, and try to learn from his practices of life. So before I begin, I do have a question tonight. Are there any Harry Potter fans in the room? Wow. Yeah, good for you guys. Good for you guys. For those of you, for the, it's, it's, it's the devil, man. How dare you bring up Harry Potter in the house of the Lord like that? For those of you uh, who know me well, for those of you who know me well, you would be, you might be shocked right now that I'm starting tonight's sermon with a Harry Potter illustration. Uh, I think they're fantastic movies. Not really. Um, But for those of you who have uh, watched it, you know that there are like different houses in Harry Potter. And let's be honest, probably most of you have gone online to take the personality quiz to see what house you are assigned to, right? Right? You got, you got, uh, is anyone part of the snake house? Is anyone part of Satan's house? Anyone part of Satan's house? Slytherin, yeah. Snake, serpent, Lucifer. Anyone part of that house? Yeah. Anyone part of Griffin dogs? Griffins? Yeah. What's the other house? Hufflepuff. 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 Hufflepuff sounds like Hufflepuff sounds like if I walked into Aldi and found an off-brand marshmallow. Like that's what it. Oh, Hufflepuffs. Ravenclaw, is anyone part of House Ravenclaw? Two, three of you, wow. Is there something about that house? Oh, it's Smart People House, okay. Well, you guys may know then that in the movie, in order to figure out uh, which house you belong in, there is a, a magic hat, a magical hat. It is called the Sorting Hat. It is called the Sorting Hat. It just so happens that tonight I have a Sorting Hat of my own. Courtesy, I know, this is actually the prop from the movie. Like this is, dude, I know, it looks identical. Uh, This is courtesy of Trevin Rice. Let's go Palmetto State. All right, so here we go. This sorting hat though, this sorting hat does not tell you uh, what Harry Potter house you belong to, unfortunately. But what it does tell you tonight is uh, or are your desires. 
wow, no one cares about that. Everyone's like, um, I, don't, I, I really want to know what house I belong to. Uh, this is, I don't care about my desires, man. The depths of my heart shall remain a mystery. I just want to know which house I'm going to. My sorting hat tells you your true desires, the desires of your heart. Yeah, I know. It's deep. All right, so here we go. Let me go ahead and, what do they do in the movie? Do they shake it up? Oh, they put it on their head? Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Okay, here we go. Well, I'm doing it different, Harry. Okay, here we go. This is our first desire. Are you guys ready? Some of you guys didn't know. All right, here we go. This is our, this is our first desire. Ready? This is serious stuff, guys. I mean, this is like spirit insight here. All right, here we go. I didn't write any of these. I just trusted the spirit to fill them out once I drew them. All right, so here we go. I want to be joyful. Can I get an amen? Anybody desire to be joyful? I want to be joyful, but regularly believe the lies about myself. Oh. Yeah, some of you guys are like, oh, dang. I thought this was going to be fun. (laughs) It's not funny when it gets real. All right, here we go. Let's try a different desire. All right, here we go. Can I get like a drummel or something? Like, let's enhance it. Okay. What do they do in the movie? What do they do in the movie? The movie is lame, man. They don't do a drum roll. The hat talks. All right. Okay, here we go. Uh, I want to grow in my faith. That's a good desire. Anybody? Can I get an amen on that? I want to grow in my faith. It's a good desire. I want to grow in my faith, but, uh, uh, but I binge watch Netflix every night. Does that, sound, does that sound familiar? Like, I want to grow in my faith. Some of you guys are trying to find the loophole. Like, it's not Netflix. I watch YouTube. Mm. Like, okay, you get the point. Euphoria season two was mm, great. <laughs> in the house of the Lord. All right. But you guys get the point. Some of you guys are more offended that I said it than the fact that you watched it. Get off my back. All right, here we go. He said the word, euphoria. All right, here we go. Oh, I'm sorry. Drum roll, please. Drawing hat. All right. I want to have peace. That's a good desire. Anybody want to have peace? I would imagine a lot of us do, if we're honest. Statistically, the most depressed generation of all time. I mean, it's, I'm not laughing there. It's true. Uh, I want to have peace, but regularly disrespect my parents and my friends. Mm. Anybody, that, anybody desiring peace but creates drama? You know what I mean? Like, you got a conflict of interest that's there. All right. Some of you guys are like, dude, this, this desire hat, it's not good, man. All right. Drum roll, please. Let's see. What do we got? Uh. I want to know my purpose in life. Anybody? That's a good desire. I, got a ton of, I get a ton of conversations with students like, dude, how do you know your purpose? How do you know what steps you should take? What should you study in college? So on and so forth. I want to know my purpose in life. That's a great one. Uh, but I'd rather play video games than spend time in prayer. Hmm. Does that hit home with anyone? A lot of the girls in the room are like, no. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Doesn't have to be video games. Do you guys get the point? I want to know my purpose, but I spend time doing what? All right, here we go. Oh, I'm sorry. Drum roll, please. Desire hat. Uh, 
Here we go. I want to, I want, uh, to find my worth in Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Uh, but regularly compare myself to others. I mean, that's real. Like how many hours do we send, spend scrolling on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, looking at other people's lives, habits, bodies, whatever, and all the while we're like, dang, I just wish I could find my worth in Jesus, but I'm going to dump hours into comparison. Those won't line up. All right, last one. These were in no particular order. Drum roll, please. Some of you guys are like, dude, I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> whatever this hat is, I don't want it. All right, here we go. Uh, I want to be pure in my relationships. That's a good one. <laughs> but watch euphoria. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> zing. Uh, I want to be pure in my relationships, but look at porn regularly. I mean, let's be honest. This is not only limited to guys. I know a lot of girls that struggle with pornography. So in my hat of desires here, as you can tell, each and every desire it's kind of conflicted, right? It's like, dang, dude, the first half was really, really good. I, I do want to know my purpose in life. I do want peace. I do want joy. I do want purity in my relationships. I want all those things. But if we're also honest and like ruthlessly honest, not like, oh, I'm a Christian and I put on a good mask and I don't struggle with sin. <laughs> but if we're like brutally honest, ruthlessly honest, we would also admit a lot of the latter things. Dude, I, I love Jesus and I really want to grow in my faith. But if I'm honest, I get home and I'm tired. I'm tired from school. I'm tired from the pressure. I'm tired from drama. And I just kind of want to escape it all. And so I have the intention of maybe just watching one or two episodes of something. But before I know it, it's hours gone by. And I have binge watched whatever and just kind of fed my mind nothing that really matters. And it really doesn't feel fulfilling. Or, dude, I, I want to know my purpose. I just don't put any time into actually asking God what it is or seeking that out. Or, Man, I want peace in life, but I'm really not going to work on myself or my blind spots or how I create the drama. I'm just going to blow up at people and get defensive when they try to call me out. I'm going to have a bad attitude. I'm not going to be teachable about things. I want to be pure in my relationship, but I'm, I'm looking at pornography and images that distort and corrupt what actual love is, and that's going to influence some things. And so it's like, man, we have these really, really good desires, but then we also have these other things that are tugging at our hearts and souls. And if we're really honest, a lot of us, I think in this room would admit, oftentimes, Matt, I feel like I am in a tug of war match between what I want and what I do. In fact, Paul even uses this exact language in the book of Romans. He says, man, the very things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I hate doing, I find myself doing. This, this conflict of the soul. It's like, dude, I, I, I want to grow in Jesus. I, I, I'm trying to figure this out. In some ways, high school feels like I have all the time left in the world to figure it out. And in other ways, it feels like if I don't figure it out now, I am doomed for life. And man, I'm torn. I mean, is that resonating at all? It was with me when I was in high school. And it still does with me. Like the desire to grow in our faith, but also the desire to sin. And so what do we do? So let's look at a passage of scripture in the book of Galatians. This is written by a guy named Paul. Galatians chapter 5. I think, I think maybe one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. I said it. 
You're not supposed to prioritize the Bible. It's all inspired by God. I get that, okay? I'm chill, kimosabi. I'm just saying. I think this is one of the most important passages we can come to understand. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like our hat of desires? Like, dang, there are things that seem spirit and there are things that seem contrary to that. And I I find myself in the middle of desiring them both. They are opposed to one another. Verse 18. Hey, guys in the back. Up here. Thanks. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Harry Potter, I knew it! (laughs) Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty strong language, Paul. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, if those were the things of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So Paul lays out in this passage something very similar to what we just kind of talked about in our hat. It's like there seems to be two categories that Paul describes. One is the flesh and one is the spirit. I'm going to give you very simple definitions of each of those. The flesh seems to be um, disordered desires. Disordered desires. (laughs) Little typo on desires there. I bet they'll fix it in no time. Disordered desires. All right. The flesh seems to be disordered desires. In other words, You have um, desires in you that are not bad. I think a lot of our desires are actually God-given, but it's when they get out of order. It's when they get out of whack. It's when they become corrupted, and we try to um, kind of redefine them and reorder them and all that. That's when we start to get in trouble. A great example of this is the idea of sex. If that word throws you off... uh, I don't know what to tell you. Like, go back a year and listen to our relationship series. We talk about it a lot, all right? I I don't think we should be embarrassed to talk about what God was not embarrassed to create, and God is the creator of sex. But a great example of this is sex. I think the desire to have sex with someone that you love is how God intended it to be. That'd be very weird to get married and be like, I don't want to have sex with you at all, really, right? (laughs) This is a (laughs) God-created... Just to update you. This is a God-given desire. It's the way God has created it. Uh, There's an entire book in the Old Testament that is a Hebrew uh, passion love story filled uh, with some saucy stuff, all right? I preached 
I preached two sermons out of it last year. It's spicy, man. All right. So this is God given. So, but what we do, we come along and we disorder the desires. It's like, instead of doing it God's way, we want to redefine how it should be done. We want to redefine when it should be done. We want to buy into how our culture kind of talks about it. And then sex is, is not this really, really unique and special thing that, that we uh, practice with the person that we've committed the rest of our lives to. Sex is just kind of this thing that in some ways is a part of dating culture today. Um, and if you read through the scriptures, like sex is not this taboo idea. The idea is a covenant relationship where you are enduring the hardships of life with one person that you are committed to forever seems to be the only infrastructure that can actually bear the weight of this incredible thing that God made that we call sex. But when we get all these things out of order, man, we start getting in trouble, don't we? So a simple way to understand flesh, oh, you've got to fix it. Way to go. Hey, tech team in the back, way to go, man. So a simple way to understand flesh um, is this, is this, concept, disordered desires, like they're out of order. They're not necessarily bad, not all of them at least, some of them are, but they're just out of order. And so a simple way to understand spirit is this idea of godly desires, or in other words, that, there, that we have uh, the spirit inside of us is longing to connect with the spirit of God, and when we believe in Jesus, they begin to resonate, we are filled with the spirit of God, and then we begin to align our desires with God's desires, and Paul kind of summarizes all that by talking in the language of walking with the spirit, living in the spirit. And so when Paul uses the words flesh and spirit in this passage we just read, Galatians 5, I say to you, walk in the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are opposed to the flesh. What he's saying is our desires which have been corrupted and infected and have become all distorted and disordered are actually trying to convince you to, to define and design life how you see it should be according to your own worldview, not God's. But the ways of the Spirit are submitting to God and allowing Him to define good and evil and then beginning to live in alignment with the Spirit of God who is resonating with the Spirit inside of you. So Paul seems to be writing towards this idea of our hat. Like, dude, we have desires that are good. I desire to grow in my faith. I desire to have peace. I desire to have joy. I desire to be content. I desire to be pure. I desire to whatever, whatever, whatever. And simultaneously, I desire to fool around in relationships. I desire to go and buy things that I don't need to somehow fill a hole in my heart that I think will satisfy me and bring contentment, but it never does. I desire to compare myself with others. I desire, desire, desire all these unhealthy things. And Paul talks about that. They are opposed to one another. And so the question really for tonight, the question is, because we're in a series called Practicing the Way, the question for tonight is, is there a practice that can help us begin to align our desires with the Spirit of God? Do we see ever in the Gospels Jesus live out a practice that begins to align His Spirit with God's spirit that, that kind of brings clarity to, to his next step or his decision or whatever. Do we see Jesus practice anything in the gospels? And I would say the answer is yes. And the, the practice that I want to talk about tonight is the practice of fasting. Now, 
I am very aware that I am talking uh, about this concept to this demographic. In other words, if I were to go off on like a prayer retreat and I were to meet with my team and we were to just like, all right, guys, massive brainstorming section. What do today's teenagers need to hear? What is the sermon that we need to bring back to them? This topic would probably never, ever make it to the top of the list. In fact, I, was, um, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up with Jesus. But I was in a church for, for my last two years of high school. And I was trying to think back, did I ever hear a sermon specifically about fasting when I was in high school? I think the answer is immediately no. Like I might have heard the word or the concept, but I've never heard a sermon on it. And then I thought, what about as an adult? Have I ever heard a sermon about fasting as an adult? And I got to be honest with you guys, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about fasting. Have you guys? You have? Great. <laughs> just like totally oppose everything. I just, yes, I have actually. Every Friday I listen to one. I just, I have it. I don't hear it talked about a lot. This seems to be in many ways the lost practice of Jesus. The idea of fasting seems to be the lost practice of Jesus. Like if you study history, when Jesus was alive, it was regular practice like for Jewish people. I'm not talking about like the elite religious righteous, oh, look how holy I am. I'm, I'm talking about like everyday people. It was regular practice for everyday people to fast twice a week when Jesus was alive. Two 24-hour days. Regularly, every week. It was just regular practice. In fact, if you look at the early church, uh, there's some writings within the early church, and, uh, and it was regular practice for the early followers of Jesus to fast. Guess how many days a week? Two days a week. It's, it's been a regular practice for thousands of years, up until recently, where in our culture, especially America, but westernized culture in general, but in America, we look at this concept and we're like, what, dude? That's whack, man. Why would we do that? Like, that seems like a cult. You know what I mean? Like, if you really want to love Jesus, you won't eat food, right? Like, that seems weird. Can we admit it? Like, no one talks about this, except for the one person who listens to the sermons. But no one really talks about this. No one's hearing about this. Jesus seemed to practice it, but it's a lost practice. The early church practiced it, but we don't. So what's the deal? Why don't we practice this anymore? Well, let's just look at where Jesus even touches on this. I mean, there's a few places, but Matthew chapter 6, we've been there for the past two weeks teaching on prayer, but let's just go there now. Anyway, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16, Jesus says this, And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is basically teaching, look, when you fast, it's not about getting attention. Don't walk around and be like, I'm fasting, I'm so hungry, look at me. Like, don't do that. If you're fasting, let it be between you and God. I'm not camping on this passage. The whole point I just want to bring up, Jesus is teaching on fasting in a way that assumes that those who are following him in faith will also practice the fast, the practice of fasting. When you fast, doesn't say if you fast, it says when you fast. The the whole point I want to make here is Jesus teaching his disciples, his followers, 
assumes that fasting will be a regular practice in their life. That's all I want to point out from Matthew 6. So why don't we fast today? Like, why isn't this a more relevant uh, topic to talk about with teenagers or even adults? Adults aren't fasting. It's not like it's just limited to you guys. No one's fasting. Why? Mainly because, think about it, we live in a culture that idolizes and emphasizes do what feels good. In fact, it's partnered with immediacy. Do what feels good when you want to do it. Like legitimately, if you want anything right now, you can have it in one to two days delivered to your doorstep. Like have you thought about it? Like anything you want, you can have it in less than 48 hours. And if you can't wait that long, most stores will carry it. We live in a culture of immediacy. Everything's immediate, immediate, immediate. Instant information, instant access, instant answers. You don't even have to type it anymore. You can just like, hey, I don't want to say your name because then she'll pop up and interrupt my sermon. But hey, what's, you know, how much does a beaver weigh? Who knows? But you can get any information that you want at any time you want, immediately. But we also live in a culture that says, do what feels good to you. Don't, don't worry about like restraint and restrictions and like the Bible's outdated and antiquated. Like, don't worry about it. Like, let's redefine what good and evil is. Do what feels good to you when you want to do it. That's our culture in a lot of ways. That's our culture. The idea of fasting, which simply understood, fasting is willfully restraining from food. It's the biblical idea of fasting. That idea of fasting is like at odds with the idea of our culture. Our culture says, do what feels good. Skipping meals does not feel good. Going prolonged periods of time without eating does not feel good. You begin to have hunger pains. They call them pains because it hurts. Your body is telling you, hey, I need something. And yet, fasting was a regular practice of Jesus. So why would we subject ourselves to intentionally and willfully restraining from food when our culture is saying, do whatever you want? Well, quick case, quick like fly-by study, quick case study. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, God has created Adam and Eve. Uh, God creates Adam uh, from the dirt. The Hebrew word for dirt is Adama. Uh, The man's name, first man's name is Adam. It's a play on words. He was made from Adama. His name is Adam. Adam's name literally translates to the dirt man or the dust man. And... Adam receives life, not when he's created from the dirt, but when he receives the breath of God. This is a little bit of a summary from Epic a couple of years ago, when he receives the ruach of God, the wind, the breath, the spirit of God is when Adam came to life. God makes a woman from Adam, and they are living in the garden, and they're just living it up, man. They're living the best lives possible. They have perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with themselves, perfect relationship with creation. It's awesome. And God says... One thing, by the way, one thing while you live here, just don't eat of that tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from it. It wasn't really about eating. God was saying to them, let me define good and evil. I don't want you to reach out for yourselves and try to take on what good and evil is. I just want you to let me define it. Will you trust me? They didn't. They joined the rebellion. Go back to our Heaven and Earth Collide series if this is seeming a little bit rusty to you. That was just last semester. The whole point that I want to make here is I'm not, it's not the biggest emphasis of Genesis, but we also can't overlook it. The first temptation ever was oriented around food. 
are you able to restrain yourself from eating this thing? It was a lot more than food. It was defining good and evil for themselves. But the first temptation ever was oriented around food. It's really interesting the role that food plays in our lives. I wish I had another hour to get into the nuances of our weird culture that idolizes like the Greek god body, but also idolizes like strawberry cheesecake on the side. You know what I mean? Like these two conflicting things in our culture that don't line up. We don't have time for that. We're just going to focus here. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is preparing for public ministry and Jesus goes on, begins a 40-day fast. 40 days, a month and a half where he is not eating. And after the 40 days, Satan approaches him and begins to tempt him. What does Satan tempt him with first? Food. And you may look at that and think, man, Jesus must have been at his absolute weakest. I think physically, yes, 40 days without food will do that to you. Physically, he was frail and brittle. But spiritually, I think Jesus was actually at his strongest. It's at the end of his fast that his spirit was strong enough to go toe-to-toe with Satan when he was a human. And the first temptation Jesus endured was about food. Like these aren't the main emphases of the passage, but they they can't be overlooked. Like food plays this really unique role in our lives. And giving food up intentionally seems to be uh, something that Jesus modeled. All right, so why would we fast? I'm gonna go through some, uh, four reasons. I got four reasons for you tonight. Why would we fast? Number one, it teaches spirit power dependency over willpower dependency. In other words, most of us, as I'm reading the little pieces of paper here, can resonate. And we're like, yeah, dude, I want to be pure, but I'm struggling with porn. Yeah, dude, I want to be joyful, but I'm struggling with my attitude. I want peace, but I create drama. Like most of us know that tension. And most of us treat sin in our life like a New Year's resolution. If I can just, if I can just buckle down and through sheer willpower decide not to sin anymore, that's the key. That's what will get me through that's what will help me get over this sin. It, it, has, has that ever worked? If that method worked, it would have worked by now. It doesn't work. You are no match for your sin. It's just that simple. You are not strong enough to go toe-to-toe with your father wounds that you carry by yourself. You're not strong enough to go toe-to-toe with your addiction to pornography that you carry. You're not strong enough to go toe-to-toe with the secret lifestyle that you practice on Saturday nights and then you come to church on Sundays putting on a a mask, right? Like, in your own power, you cannot achieve that. That is willpower. And willpower is not stronger than sin. If it were, we wouldn't need Jesus, but we do. What we need is spirit power. And when we fast, when we intentionally restrain from eating, for a certain period of time, traditionally it's a 24-hour period, but when we, when we restrain from eating, what begins to take place in our soul? Every time our stomach churns for food, we are reminded of how fragile we actually are and that we need Jesus. Like every hunger pain should remind us of our dependency on God because we take those things for granted. We think we're like immune to everything. When I was young, I did. Man, the amount of stuff that I 
stupid stuff I did, and I thought, oh, this won't kill me, this won't hurt me, whatever. I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, God's grace protected me so much. But when you intentionally remove food from the equation, you realize, dude, I'm like struggling. I'm so sluggish. I'm hungry. You realize how much you need Jesus and you need the power of the Spirit. Fasting from food has also been understood as feasting on the Spirit. You're fasting from physical. You are feasting on spiritual. It is this empowering practice whereby intentionally restraining from something you're allowed to have and going through all those weird like hunger pains and and cravings and man, like I didn't know how badly I craved bread, right? Like all of a sudden you are drawn to the spirit and you begin to feast on the presence of the spirit and it helps you learn spirit power dependency over your own willpower dependency, which is how so many of us approach sin. Second thing is, it aligns our desires with God's desires. Like how many of you in this room, I already know it's pretty much everyone, but how many of you in this room would desire to know what God's will for you is? There is a biblical theme, it runs from cover to cover, that uh, fasting seems to amplify and clarify our prayer life. I'm not going to get into the science of it all, but even neuroscience backs this up, that when you go for prolonged periods of time without food, your brain actually begins to generate extra neurons, clearing away the brain fog. You are actually able to think more clearly in this life. And when we're focused on spirit, and we're also partnering it with an intentional restraint from eating, all of a sudden we begin to align our prayer life in a way that just doesn't happen on a full belly. It just doesn't. It is a raw, gritty, powerful prayer time where we begin to align our desires with that of of God's. I find that when I pray, uh, when I pray, I find that when I fast, all of a sudden I'm, I'm going through my day and sin that would usually be appealing to me, tempting to me, all of a sudden seems disgusting to me. It's like, it's like fasting has this amazing power to give me clarity about the things that matter and about the things that kill me and about the things that give me life and about the spirit. It begins to align my heart and bring clarity to my prayers. My desires become aligned with God's and therefore decisions and understanding God's will and praying become much clearer when we fast. Third, it reveals the monsters. So all of us have blind spots. Surely you know that about yourself. All of us have triggers. All of us have things we struggle with. Some of us like have terrible tempers and anger problems and people are scared to even bring up things with you. They're walking on eggshells around you because they know you will blow up. You are so fragile. You are so insecure. You cannot handle the slightest conflict. You need to deal with that. Some of us are so broken And we have such a gaping hole in our heart, we are trying to plug it with all the wrong things and find contentment through substances or through binge-watching shows or whatever. And none of them help, and they just leave us feeling more hollow. We need to deal with that. We need to to begin healing those things. Some of us have deep addictions, secret addictions, double lives. You come in here on Sunday, you do all sorts of things throughout the week. You need to deal with those. Spirituality cannot be compartmentalized to a once a a week thing. Like Jesus should 
infect every area of our lives. It's not just coming to a building on Sunday. Fasting begins to reveal the monsters. It begins to reveal the blind spots that you and I have. Like it, it works like this. Like you begin fasting, you make it like, I don't know, maybe you're at the 12 hour mark, 12 out of 24. And all of a sudden you just find yourself, you're so irritable. Like things that you usually would have patience for, you're just snapping at, you're irritable, you're becoming very impatient, you're getting short, your tone is, is beginning to get a little snappy. And you kind of chalk it up to like, oh, dude, I'm just hangry. No, you're not hangry. This is actually how you behave a lot of the time. You just don't realize it because you're never sensitive to it. Fasting begins to reveal the monsters and make you aware of blind spots so that you can repent of them. Remember when you were a little kid and you thought stuff was in the closet or under the bed and the best defense against those monsters was just to get under the sheets, right? Like, dude, if they can't see me, they don't hurt me, right? That's how we treat our sin oftentimes. If I just don't look at it, if I just hide from it, it will go away. Sin doesn't. It will tear you to pieces. But fasting begins to reveal what's beneath the surface of our hearts. It begins to reveal the flesh and makes us aware so that we can repent. And then fourth, fasting helps us see the little things. Uh, I know for me, like as I practice fasting, it just kind of makes me acutely aware of all the things throughout the day that I so regularly take for granted. I mean, it could be as simple as the way one of my kids smiles or the sound of their laughter. And I just hone in on it. And I'm like, I hear it every day. And it's magical. And I don't think I ever just pause and thank God that I heard my kid laugh today. Or the way my wife looks at me. Or like just recently we, we fasted and, and uh, we, we, I fasted. But we, my family, broke the fast with me uh, by having pineapple. And it's like, I know, so random, but it's like, when is the last time I've had pineapple and have been so looking forward to tasting it and like the juiciness of it and getting the kids around and cutting it up and like that's the first thing I taste when my fast is done. Like it just created this whole new appreciation for the little things. Fasting tends to sober us up to the little things in life that actually matter and make us very aware of the things that we put a lot of priority on that don't matter whatsoever. Four reasons why we fast. Teaches us spirit dependency, aligns our desires with God, reveals the monsters, helps us see the little things. I'm very aware that probably 99% of you have never even considered fasting. I get it. I'm very aware that this topic is not super sexy to talk about, especially with teenagers. Like, let's be honest. Like, you guys are not walking around life like, how could I become more spiritual? Fasting, right? Like, it's just not on the radar. I get it. But Jesus modeled this as a practice. And it seems to be a really important one. As he began to understand um, spirit and God's will, as he began to resist the flesh and the temptations of the flesh, fasting seemed to empower him through a spirit dependency so that his flesh and his spirit were not always at odds, but he began to have victory over those temptations as we see modeled in Matthew 4. Last thought, last word on, on fasting. I just want to talk to you about motive real quick. Is fasting where the power lies? No. 
None of the practices of Jesus are the end themselves. They're a means to the end. The end is Jesus. Like Jesus is always the answer, right? Like Sunday school. So our motive is important. So some of you in here, like super Christians, will hear this and be like, I've never fasted, but I'm going to fast because I love Jesus. And you'll turn it into this legalistic approach. And that's not the goal of fasting. Legalism is not the goal. Like making this just one more thing to earn something from God is not the goal. This is an expression of love and freedom that you have. I also want to be very, very aware that there are people in this room who genuinely struggle with body image and eating disorders. I was very aware of that as I came in uh, to tonight's sermon. And I, I want to caution you with your motives. Fasting is not an approach to weight loss. It's not intended to be an approach to weight loss or body image or something like that. Some of you do not need to implement fasting into your practices and relationship with Jesus in this season of your life because you need to find healing with the body image and with the eating disorders first. Don't don't implement fasting into your practices if you struggle with an eating disorder or body image stuff. In fact, the next step for you might be to begin to seek counseling on those things so you can find healing. And maybe long-term consider this. But I want to be very sensitive and just say, I'm, I'm aware this is probably not the practice for you if you're struggling with those things. Last thing I want to say is this. Nowhere in the New Testament, even by Jesus, is fasting commanded. Like, this is not a command. This is an optional thing. And I know you go, wait, what? Like, then why even preach on it, dude? Because we're getting back to the idea that Jesus modeled it. He assumes we'll do it, but it's never commanded. And so I just want you to know, if you walk out of here tonight and you never fast, if, you're, if you never like intentionally restrain from eating, there is no guilt, there's no shame. It's not like God's mad at you, like, I mean, you're less spiritual. It's nothing like that. This is an optional practice for you to consider. But if you want to know why, like, why would I even do this? because it helps us learn spirit dependency over willpower. It aligns our hearts with God as we amplify and clarify our prayer life. It reveals the monsters that we often ignore in our lives and helps us deal with them. And it helps us have an appreciation for the little things, including, by the way, another practice of Jesus is Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, Jesus was all about some food. I think there's a very holy principle. I could preach a whole sermon on feasting, like enjoying food, like having great celebrations and parties and filling a table with food and enjoying it. Jesus does that often. So feasting is partnered with fasting, but fasting seems to be a catalyst to help us appreciate and be grateful for those times. I think there's a lot of merit for it. I would encourage you and invite you to consider it. Begin to uh, consider it as a practice that you might begin to participate in. Start small, maybe a meal or two, build up to 24 hours. I would not encourage you to go big or go home. Like, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it in a week. Don't do that. Like, Just start small if you're interested at all. But I think it's an amazing practice modeled by Jesus, our master. I think he assumes that his believers, his followers will do it. But there's grace. There really is. There's no command anywhere in the New Testament. So there's no pressure. But it's an optional one and I think it's a really powerful one. So as high schoolers, you can now say you've heard a formal message on fasting. Rare thing. Rare thing happened tonight. Way to go, guys. I love it. I love the applause. Yeah, we're so good. We are, we heard it. 
Go us. We heard the message on fasting. Way to go. I love it. Guys, let's pray and we'll close out. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we believe, um, we believe that you modeled the best life possible. A life full of gratitude and joy. Jesus, you didn't ever seem anxious. You didn't ever seem rushed or in a hurry. You always seemed like you knew what was going on. You knew where you were supposed to be, what God was leading you in, what you were supposed to say. Jesus, your life seems so content in the presence of the Spirit. You seem so joyful. You seem so at peace. You lived so simplistic. Jesus, you modeled to us all the things that we desire, and our culture is telling us the complete opposite. We need more stuff. Do what feels good and do it right now in the moment. Jesus, our flesh is at war with our spirit. They are opposed to one another. But Paul says that if we feed the spirit, we begin to have victory. We begin to starve the flesh. We begin to bear fruit of the spirit. And so in a very real sense, one of the practices that you modeled that can help us uh, achieve that reality in our lives is Fasting, intentionally restraining from food so that we can begin to feast on the Spirit. There's something a little mysterious about it where when we remove the comfort of food, something we're allowed to have, we become so much more aware of the things of God. And so I pray over this room, Father, that you would help us engage in the practices of your son Jesus, including fasting. For those uh, in the room who do struggle with body image and comparison and eating disorders, Father, we pray that they would find healing and help and hope in those things. I think the first step in that is vulnerability. Not bottling it in, but talking to someone about it. Seeking help. And so we pray for that, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for modeling to us the best life possible. Would you help us see it? Help us live it. We ask these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.